message from our lead pastor, Michael Signorelli. Prepare to go C1. Come on, can y'all stand to your feet with me? Don't give it up for me. Let's give it up for Jesus again. Come on. All right, so you're on your feet right now. Hey, we're going to jump into the Word. How many of you guys love the Bible? You love Scripture. You love to hear from God. Do we got a people here in this house that just say, God, I love to hear your voice through Scripture? Um, you know, before we do that, we've got some guests in the house that I want to acknowledge, and I just want to thank you guys for coming out. we got Pastor Joel and the crew from the Spot Church here on Long Island. So we can just give them a warm welcome. I think it's so awesome to just see just men and women of God united in worship, and we are just taking more territory and just robbing the devil blind, running the score way up on him. So if you have your Bibles while you're still standing on your feet, we're going to go to John chapter 8. I'm going to read this to you while you're stretching your legs. It says, Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, and where all the people gathered around him, he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And it says, In the law Moses commanded uh, us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap. Say, it's a trap. <laughs> In order to have a basis for accusing him. The title of this message this morning is called Reset. And so on your way back down to your seats, why don't you tell somebody next to you, it is time to hit the reset button in your life. Now I want to say this, I am just so excited for this message. I've been on the edge of my seat and, and, and all week long. It was like, is it Sunday? Is it Sunday? And I even woke up, I was like, it's Sunday. And I, I'm so excited because I know that I know that I know that you could not have been anywhere else. You had to be here right now in this space. Those who are listening via the podcast, maybe it's just one of those divine hookups where somebody sends you a text and says, hey, I, I've got this word for you. You know, you need to hear what Pastor Mike had to say. And you're listening right now. And God is just divinely disrupting your life and interrupting what's going on. And I believe that today, this word reset is for so many people. So, you know, go ahead and just keep your, your uh, finger on this, this page in the Bible, John chapter 8. But I want to tell you a story. It's a very important story. It's a story about this woman named Dorma. And Dorma, uh, I want to go back into her life. She's nine years old, okay? And Dorma lives in West Virginia, and she lives in a boarding house in a holler. Now, for those of you who aren't hillbillies, you might not know what a holler is, but a holler is the place between two mountains down in the bottom, and it's the holler. And she's nine years old, and she's living in a boarding house, and, and Dorma gets invited to church, and so she goes to church, and while she was at church at the age of nine, something becomes apparent to her. Something in her immature elementary school age mind at the, at the age of nine years old, she realizes Jesus is real. And she accepts Jesus, 
and begins this journey of being a Christ follower, a nine-year-old Christ follower. Well, it wasn't soon after that that Dorma began to have these dreams repeatedly. And in the dream, there was this man who she believed was Jesus who was beckoning her out of the, of the house in the middle of the night. And he was standing outside of this boarding house and he was motioning to her to come out and, and trying to communicate something to her, but she couldn't quite figure out what he was saying. And Dorma had these dreams repeatedly, 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 and oftentimes would wake up in the middle of the dream and just go, you know, it weirded out by it and then go back to sleep. Well, finally, one night, Dorma woke up after having this dream that Jesus was outside of the boarding house beckoning her. And she decided at nine years old, I'm gonna walk outside now. So she walks outside and as she walks outside, the boarding house collapses in. Dorma was my grandmother. Now, the reason why I start with that story is because there are moments in time where God threads your needle. Let me say it again. There's moments in your life where God divinely disrupts and he threads your needle. At that point in time in West Virginia, in a holler, a nine-year-old Dorma had Jesus get into her conscious and subconscious mind and begin to communicate, leave the house, and saved her very life. And two generations later, you got a half Italian, half hillbilly preacher in a movie theater getting ready to thread somebody's needle this morning. Can I get an amen? And maybe as you're listening to my story, you're going back into your own life and you're going back into the archives of your family history and you could say there was a moment where God threaded the needle of my lineage. There was a moment where something just shifted and it should have been a normal day, but this thing happened that led to this thing, that led to this thing, and then all of a sudden the tracks get changed and the future is altered forever and now your family is a godly family. Somebody in this place who's never experienced that and maybe you just have in your mind, this is the weirdest thing I've ever encountered. I'm in a movie theater, I'm listening to this guy, I have no idea what he's talking about. Well, let me tell you, if you will stay open to what God wants to do during this portion of the service, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when God steps in and threads your needle in such a divine way, for me, I was 15 years old, hanging out after vacation Bible school, and a woman came to me and said, I had a dream that you preached at my church, and I was just a 15-year-old introvert with a green screen Game Boy, and I, and I didn't want anything to do with it, but God divinely disrupted. Can you say disruptions? Okay, so how is God getting your attention right now? Who invited you to this service? And this is not normal for you to be here. It's a disruption. Do you hear me? And it's okay to preach with me. It's okay to talk back to me. We, we, taught, we taught a couple hundred people in Indiana when Julie was preaching at the Vital Women's Conference well. And we love to throw that out there because there's times where God's saying something in a message and the person next to you needs to get divinely disrupted. And you go, well, you want to try it out with me? Well, okay. And, and, and you know the word amen, you know what just means let it be so. Amen. Let it be so, God. And so when we look at John chapter 8, you've got this divine disruption. And, and what I love about it, when you look at the scripture, it says this, then they all went home, but Jesus went to work. Leadership lesson number one for those of you who are growing in your leadership, there are going to be times when everyone else goes home, but it's time for you to go to work. 
I think that the church has been going home, but they haven't been going to work. Somebody's going to give me an amen. If you want me to preach, it's time to go to the Mount of Olives because there is a divine appointment getting ready to happen. It might be in the Starbucks. That might be your Mount of Olives. But sometimes the message isn't go home, it's go to work. And I love when you see this, it says they all went home. Say all. That's everybody. That means Jesus went alone. Sometimes you're going to have to do things alone if you're going to do them for God. Is there anyone here who say, I'll do it alone if I have to? Come on. But Jesus, I love that coordinating conjunction, but it means the opposite is about to happen. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. The message translation actually uses the phrase swarmed him. And that's why we love to see people because everywhere there was Jesus, there were swarms of people. Healthy things grow. We expect it. Jesus is attractional because he feeds hungry people. These people were hungry. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, let me just stop right there. They brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, I'm going to welcome to sex ed right now brought to you by Pastor Mike. Isn't Julie's like, please, no. It is impossible to commit adultery by yourself. So let me ask you this before we take it deeper into the story. Where's the dude at? Where's this guy? We got some man haters who are like, I knew I loved this church. I knew I loved this pastor. He's the only good man. Amen. <laughs> Now what do you say? So they're accusing him. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis of accusing him. And how many of you know that some of the biggest traps that are going to be set for you in life are going to be set by people with a religious spirit? Some of the biggest traps waiting for you are people who actually don't know God. They just know all about him. And that's why some of the most crucial moments of your life is when you get into the presence of God for yourself. The disciples only asked Jesus to teach them how to do one thing, and they watched him do some incredible things. They said, teach us how to pray. pray. And so you've got to have a connection with your heavenly father. And so, you know, they're accusing him. There's religious people. And let me just keep going. It says, now what do you say? They're accused. They, they were using this as a trap. And then let's skip. It says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. See, he didn't answer with words. He answered with actions first. He bent down and he began to write out. He says, when they kept on questioning him. See, now, now there's some wisdom in there because sometimes the first time you hear it will not be the last time you hear it from people you got you got anyone in your life that you need to hit that unfollow button on Facebook you know this that little thing do we need to do a tutorial during the message so that you can get free from some bondage in your mind you know it's okay to unfollow and unfriend people that's okay we sanction that you're not a garbage can and people don't have to deposit their garbage into your life just because there's an algorithm on Facebook to do it you know what I'm saying and so it said they kept questioning him, which means they were a battering ram to him. See, a lot of you in this room, a lot of you listening to the podcast right now, you've got stamina like you can stay holy for a little while. You can stay holy for a couple of questions, but you ask that third question, you're about to get the Dago Mike Signa rally. Right? Isn't it that alter ego that you have that you're like, oh, snaps, the Incredible Hulk is growing right now. And so what I love about Jesus is that this was an endurance test with a spirit of religion. 
And they kept questioning him. He kept writing. And it, it says this. It says, let any one of you who is out sin, he, he replies, be the first to throw a stone at her. How many of you have heard this story before, right? Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. She said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. What would it look like if somebody from the church was able to look at somebody in a questionable circumstance and say, like Jesus said, I don't condemn you. What would it look like if we stopped condemning? Would there not be enough movie theaters to contain all the people who are looking for God because we didn't get in the way? Could it be that sometimes we obscure the view of God with our own self-righteousness? So in this room right now, some of, us, some of us are the woman who's standing trial and some of us are actually the Pharisees who have gotten to a place where you followed enough rules in this little thing that we call church that's convinced you that it's your job to call other people out for their sin in their life. And you know, something I think is important to say here is that Jesus is still forgiven sin. And you know, it's funny because according to the law in the Old Testament at that particular time, it would have been normal to actually get down and write in the sand. You know, there's a lot of preachers who preach off this and they hypothesize about what exactly Jesus wrote in the sand that made all of them go away. But according to their customs at that time, you would have actually listed all the accusers as well as the one being accused. And you would start to chart out this trial that would take place to make a decision about the fate of the person who's getting caught, called out. And it's funny because, now I'm just, listen, this is a little gossip, but if you gossip from the microphone, you can call it a sermon, okay? But let me just say this. Adultery takes two people, and they caught this woman in the act, but now she's alone, and Jesus is writing names of the accusers along with the accused, and then they all get up and walk away. Could it have been one of their names that, that was being called out? Well, could it have been one of them? And I think what happened in this moment that's so powerful is that the Holy Spirit did to the same, to, to everyone the same thing. Everyone in this moment suddenly became illuminated to their own humanity and their own sin and their own failure. And it was such a powerful moment because as they started to get a vision for their own garbage in their own life, they took that as an opportunity to run away from God. But I love so much what this woman did and it says so much about her hunger for God. In the moment where she was being revealed for who and what she really is, it says this. <laughs> it's so good. It says that this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. So they're leaving. And when the woman is still standing, sometimes you got to be able to still stand when the accusations are all around you. Sometimes you got to be, you got to refuse to run away and sit down when all the accusations and people are trying to tell you who you are and what you are. And that woman is still standing. And then Jesus asks her woman, where are they? And she begins to have this dialogue. And in that moment, she's completely free. Somebody say with me, reset. 
There is a divine reset that wants to happen in your life this morning. You know, this woman, she didn't know through the course of day what was going to happen. And all of a sudden she woke up and, and here they come. You're going to stand trial for what you've done. And she gets caught. And, you know, it's so complex because how many of you know that in her society, women were marginalized and maybe this was her escape. Maybe she never had a chance to make it up the ladder. Maybe she never felt like there was opportunity for her because the way she was born. Can I get an amen? Is anyone picking up on what I'm putting down. Maybe she was just going through life. Maybe there's a reason she was called an adultery because she felt like, what other options do I have? Arranged marriage with a loveless lifestyle. So I'm just going to go find love in all the wrong places. And maybe you're here and you've got some pretty good reasons for the things that you've done in your life. Maybe you've had a hard life and you say, man, I keep working and working and working and it never seems to add up. And so, you know what? I'm going to give myself this relief. And that was this woman. I, I think I look at her and I, I see a different picture as I get older and as I wrestle with the issues in people's lives as a pastor. I see a woman who has probably had all the odds against her and was saying, I'm going to make a life for myself even if it ain't completely right. Maybe you're in this place and you've made a life for yourself and it's not completely right. You need a divine reset because you showed up thinking, man, I might there's a pretty good chance I might burst into flames when I walk through the doors of that church because of who I am and what I've done. And I love this moment where the woman's still standing and she looks at Jesus, all her accusers. Now, th the threat is not, it's, it's not palpable to you. There's no way that you could possibly, you know, your heart's not racing as I tell this story because it, it's not like that in our society, right? I mean, we've got um, a different scenario playing out in our judicial system. It's not quite like an instant death punishment. And so she was facing that. And on the other side of that, all of a sudden, she turns to Jesus and the tension is broken. She realizes two things. One, I survived them. But he asked a question. He who has sin, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. So do you know what, he, what happened was when everyone else walked away but him, do you know what Jesus revealed? I'm the only one who has the right to cast the stone. And I don't know if you ever picked up on that before, but he was sinless. He had, he had never sinned. And so as all those men walked away, I don't think her first response was like, oh man, it's over. I survived it. I think her first response was like, this is going to be the guy who murders me. And I don't know for the scholars in this room, if you've ever picked up on that, but I believe something happened. She looked him in his sinless eyes. There's some women in this room who need to look a man in sinless eyes because you've looked into lustful eyes, eyes of users, eyes of abusers. Come on. You've looked in the eyes of men who have fallen short of the destiny that God has for them. And this woman, yeah, she was an adulterer, but you know, she was being used. Somebody didn't want to marry her. Somebody didn't want to make it right. Maybe there's more to the situation. And so all of a sudden she turns in the midst of this death threat and she looks Jesus in the eyes expecting a punishment. And instead she gets a savior. And if you're here right now and you could look Jesus in his sinless eyes, you would see the eyes of love from a man that you've never seen before. And, it's, and that's what empowered her to never sin no more. Because, you know, I think about this question. Jesus is never going to tell you to do something that's impossible to do, even if it seems impossible to you go and sin no more you're like man i can maybe sin i can go sinless during the duration of his sermon that's about it about 27 minutes 
go and sin no more? How is that possible? Let me tell you how it's possible. When you look into the sinless eyes of Jesus, you get a reset. When you look into the sinless eyes of your father and you peer into the pupils and you look through into the, I mean, the cosmos, I believe she saw the universe literally spinning in his eyes and saw, I am that I am. Before you existed, I existed. Before your mother existed, I existed. Dorma, come out of the boarding house. I've got destiny in your lineage. There's preachers and pastors that are gonna come out of your life, Dorma. And you know what? This woman, who, as she looked Jesus in his sinless eyes, I believe there was a holy lineage. He was saying, you're getting ready to switch tracks. There's an alternate reality. There's an alternate future for you. And you're in this era known as an adulterer. But you're about to be known as a daughter. You're about to be known as a daughter. And it's incredible because when you get a divine reset, let me tell you what happens. The definition is this, to set again or renew. To reset a diamond. This is the definition, to reset a circuit breaker. To change the reading to zero. Reset. How many of you know that it's January 1st in this room right now? How many of you know it's January 1st for those listening to the podcast right now? How many of you know that it's a divine reset that God's trying to communicate into your life? Let me say this. When you reset a diamond, you reveal and display its true beauty. When you reset a circuit breaker, you create a power flow. And when you reset an odometer, you erase distance. There are people in this room who at a time you were close to God. And God said, let me hit that odometer and erase the distance between us right now at V1 Church. Is that okay? Can we make room for something like that to happen? Let me, let me hit the reset button. Reset. When you reset a diamond, you reveal its beauty now. God's getting ready to reveal some beauty in your life. I love this so much. It says this. And this was kind of like something that, that I felt like I was wrestling with this week. But reset, we're going to go with an acronym for those of you taking notes in your V1 branded notebook. <laughs> we just like to make everything a commodity. You know, half the stuff we got sitting on that table is other people bringing it now. I just want to tell you, I want to go on record. We got window decals and all this other stuff popping up. And everyone's like, we just love our church. So we're just going to go tattoo it and brand it all over. For those of you taking notes, reset is this. Here's your acronym uh, when you get out of here because we don't preach what doesn't work on Monday. It might sound really good on Sunday, but it better work on Monday. Am I right? Okay, so reset is this. R, reside in prayer. Reside means to take up residence. It means to live there. It means to sign your lease that you're moving into this place called prayer and you're not coming out. And somebody's going to have to kick you out of that place because you signed a lease that you're going to reside. You're going to be a resident of this place called prayer. The Bible says pray without ceasing. And you're like, how is that even possible? I can't talk without ceasing. Some of you guys can. You What, what did you say this morning? The gift of gabber. I don't know. Is that to say it right? <laughs> But you're going to reside in prayer. Well, you know what? Some prayer is listening to. The next one is this. E, enter into rest. Is there anyone here who needs rest? No, no, no. You answered wrong. You need sleep. But I'm talking about rest. Okay? Enter into rest. 
You know, rest is something you have to intentionally enter. And you know, my wife came off that conference and she flew back so that she could be here this morning and lead worship. And she said she fell asleep from before the plane took off until after it landed. That's crazy. That's drug status. Like I was questioning for a second, like what happened at that women's conference? But when you enter into rest, there's an intentionality there. When you just tell yourself, I'm going to enter into rest. The next one is serve God with all your heart. S. Serve God. You know that some of the most debilitating fear and the most debilitating anger and the most debilitating pride and the most debilitating you know, uh, circumstances of your life are created when you serve yourself. And to be released from all that is to actually serve God. And how do you serve God? Well, you serve his people. And his people don't look like you. They don't act like you. His people are ugly sometimes. And you serve them with everything you've got. And you find, you find a, complete, a complete identity in that. E is this, expel all the negativity. Expel all the negativity. Like, you have to make an intentional choice to do that. You know, I've been going through a process of identifying how many negative things come out of my own mouth and tracking it and tallying it and trying to reduce that number and, and just say, God, help me because I know this isn't who you are. And the last one is this, T, train your mind with scripture. Reset. Train your mind. Let me say it a better way because, you know, train. T I needed a T word, okay? But let me use a B word, one differently than you use on the L-I-E. Brainwash. Brainwash yourself with the word. Brainwash yourself with scripture. Put scripture everywhere around you so until it becomes who you are. Make your, force it as a part of your identity. Brainwash yourself, train your mind with scripture. And, and, and because God's ways are higher than your ways and God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so you need to get the mind of God migrating into the mind of man. And you do that by training your mind for scripture. And so it's not enough to have a spiritual encounter here this morning and a big emotional experience because then you'll leave and you'll go right back. The way that you reset is to do these things that we mentioned and put that on repeat in your life. And as you begin to do that, you will see a marked difference in how you live your life. Now, I just want to close it out like this. This is my first of four closes. I'm warning you. <laughs> Julie was at this women's conference, and I'm sitting in our queen's shanty, we'll call it, our 600-square-foot bungalow. <laughs> I don't know. And I'm watching her on this live stream just deliver this powerful word to these women in Indiana. And I'm cheering her on, and I'm in my sweats, you know, my Italian sweatsuit. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm in my Italian sweatsuit, and I'm like cheering Julie on, go, Julie, go, go, go. But Julie, you know, she's sharing to all these women this story about how basically I was the most terrible husband imaginable. So if you're sitting in the seat and you're thinking to yourself, I am such a bad husband, I want you to remind your wife, no, there is one that was worse. And his name was Michael Signorelli. And, and Julie shared these women about how much I suck as a husband. And, and there was a point where she did leave, and many of you guys know that story. And, and, and when she was gone, I, I think for me, I just got to the point where I was like, I have to change. Like, whether we restore a relationship or not, it's about Mike Signorelli because I can't do it for any ulterior motive. I, I just to win her back and keep doing that ping pong thing of life. I've got to actually do this because I want to change. And I started to go on that journey. And 
when Julie was telling that testimony, there's so many women just crying in the room. And I, I thought, man, I've been a candidate of the reset. And now I'm on the other side. And let me just tell you, there's going to be some people after you leave this room who are going to tell you, how, how do you think that you get away with going to church every Sunday? You're a hypocrite. You know that word's got demonic origins. You know the first person ever used the word hypocrite was Satan, right? It like rolled off of his slimy tongue. And we love that word hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. And there's going to be people in your life like they, they, they say V1 Church posted a picture with you raising your hands, but I know your past. How could you be a Christian? I know your past. And after you leave this place and get your divine reset, I want you to be the kind of person that says, I'm not a Christian because you know my past. I'm a Christian because Jesus knew my future. And there's somebody in this place. Everything they say might be true, but it's true as your past and not your destiny. Because your situation right now does not determine your destiny. You're destined for more. You're destined for greater. This woman was an adulterer. She had a lot against her in society. Not only was she a woman, which was second-class citizen, but she was an adulterer on top of it. She was defiled. She was in a culture that followed hundreds of rules all day long. She was ugly and defiled in their eyes. And Jesus looked at her and said, I do not condemn you. Somebody in this place needs to hear those words right now. Jesus is wanting to scream it to you. I do not condemn you. And some of you have literally been oscillating between, can I live this life? Can I truly be a Christian or not? Because I feel like I keep messing up and there's an audience every time I screw up of accusers. There's people who know me and know what I've been through and know, and I just keep going back and forth and I don't want to be called a hypocrite, but guess what? This whole place is full of them right now. We're broken people who say, God, if you can use anything, use this broken vessel. We're people who've screwed up. We're people who destroyed our marriages. We're people who've had miscarriages. And we're people who literally cuss God out. But that's not where it ended. And so what I want to say to you this morning is you get to choose the next story of your life after God threads your needle. Because God divinely stepped in your life this morning. Would you stand on your feet with me? We're coming into close number two. <laughs> People who don't understand grace will call you a hypocrite while Jesus is calling you a son or a daughter. Do you hear me? People who don't understand how radical grace really is. Let me just tell you this. Do you know when the gospel message is clearest? is when it's shining through a life that looks impossible to save. The, you know, when Jesus looks the realest is when you know that you know that you know that that person should not be where they are living the life they're living. And I'm telling you, you are a candidate for a miracle in this room right now. You are a candidate for God to do the impossible. If you would have showed my wife the live stream of her in Indiana in front of all her friends and family talking about my marriage is restored and we're pastoring a church in New York, she wouldn't have probably even believed it. But Julie had this vision one day in worship. And this vision that she had, this was when we were separated. She was leading worship at another church. And, and, and all of a sudden, as she was leading worship, she got this very clear picture that me and her were just sitting at a table and we're drinking coffee together. And, and the walls were a certain color and it was a very powerful image. And she was so hopeless about our marriage being restored that she actually rejected the image and said, there's no way that's God and I don't receive it. 
And she just, because she was in such a place of hopelessness, maybe during worship, as we cried out, you started to get an image and a picture of what it could be. Maybe hope started to rise in this room and all of a sudden you felt like this buoyancy came over you and suddenly you were like, I, I think I can see a picture of my life. And then we go through the transitions and it starts to fade away and you begin to reject what God could do in your life. Well, Julie rejected too, but guess what? It didn't mean that it was impossible for God just because she thought it was impossible with her. And how many of you know that many years later on the other side of marriage counseling, on the other side of duking it out, on the other side of the, all that stuff, we restored. And all of a sudden, we're just sitting down in Chesterton, Indiana. And one day, we're at the kitchen, and we're sitting down, and we're at that table, and she looks at me with this look I've never seen before. And she said, there's something I've got to tell you. I was in worship when we were separated, and everything looked like it was over. And I saw this day, and it just realized right now the normal Normal things are not normal to people who don't come from normal. And if you're in this room, maybe you don't know what normal is. Maybe you don't know what a normal marriage is. Maybe you don't know what a normal life should look like. And, and so normal's not normal to you. And we're just sitting there having coffee and I'm reading the Bible trying to grow as a man. And all of a sudden, Julie looks at me with these eyes that she looked at me when she was 19 years old before I screwed up, before I derailed the plan of God for my life. She looked at me with those eyes again and she said truly God is who he said he is and I'm telling you that picture that you've got in your mind can come to pass but it's absolutely impossible for you to do it alone you need the people in this room but you need scripture but most importantly you need the sinless eyes of Jesus peering into your soul telling you go go and sin no more and some of you have been stuck in life, stuck and stuck in this cycle, and it's time for a divine reset. Are you ready for close number three? <laughs> I'm having too much fun because I'm so confident what God's getting ready to do right now. And the movie theater said, take as long as you want. And I said, praise God, we will. <laughs> we paid for it. So here's what we're gonna do. <laughs> Everyone close your eyes and act spiritual with me. Come on. There is joy. There is joy. There is joy for you today. You will laugh again. You will laugh again. Crying is not your only disposition. God has called you more to being a crier, okay? There is joy in this place. With every eye closed right now, let's determine a destiny. Let's determine a destiny. With every eye closed, let's put you in the valley of decision right now. V1 is the decision speed. It's the moment where you determine this plane is going to fly. And that's where I've got you right now. Now you're sitting in your, in the seat right now. You're buckled in. You got your free 99 movie ticket and you are getting ready to go V1, the decision speed. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart, you will go V1, which means you will take flight into the next thing and God will say, go, go, go. It's time to run like you've never run. Go. So here's what I'm saying. If there's somebody in this place with every eye closed and nobody looking around and if you just said I that is me with every ounce of my being I need to reset today I know you were talking to me from the moment you took the microphone and I don't want to miss my opportunity would you just raise your hand right now come on there's hands all over the place come on raise your hand high stretch it out with confidence you're making the best decision you could ever make in your life come on 
Now let's do this. Be bold with me. Let's be bold. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Now let's be bold. Everyone open your eyes and look at around look around at all the hands. You're not alone. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's give a hand for Jesus. Some of you didn't know that your life could change in a movie theater and it's not even the Tupac movie. So what we're going to do is this. We are going to pray together with one voice for that divine reset in our lives. It's a new season. It's January 1st, baby. You're walking out. You're going back to the YMCA. You're getting fit. You're going to do all the things you said you're going to do. But this time you're doing it with the sinless eyes of Jesus looking you in the face and declaring, go. Somebody's catching the word, go. It's time to move, man. It's time to move. You waited your entire life for this moment to be released. So will you pray with me? All right, let's do this. Let's just pray. Everyone say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for forgiving me and not condemning me. Today, I'm free. I'm yours. And I'm ready to go. I will do what you called me to do. And I thank you for divine reset. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Come on. Yeah. All right, now here's what we're going to do. This is the fourth close. You thought I was kidding. Everyone laughed. They were like, oh, that's so funny. And then I did it, and you were like, okay. <laughs> Clearly don't understand Hoosier entertainment. But here's the last and final close. This is not where it has to end. This is actually the beginning. And on either side of these media desks, we have these super spiritual prayer boxes that we taped before service happened. So we'd have a designated area to pray for you in the prayer boxes. And what I want to do is this. We have people on our team who pray with people, and I kid you not, the most powerful moments that happen every Sunday actually happen there and not from stage. It's insane. I, I, want, I want to provoke you to come out of your seats as we end this service and go down in those prayer boxes and let somebody pray with you. And, and if you're a weird New Yorker who doesn't want to be touched, we won't even physically touch you. We won't touch you. Isn't it amazing? Uh, whatever your preference is, we want it, but we want, we don't want you to miss an opportunity to get what God has for you, okay? Can we do that? So I'm just gonna count on three, and we're just gonna help give them an extra little bit of courage to get their butt down into the prayer boxes and to receive all of God, what God has for them. Ready? So one, come on, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're drawing hearts. I thank you that you're doing it. I thank you that they came here and they're gonna receive two. It's time now to begin to move out of your seat and get all of what God has for you. Three, let's just give it up one more time for everyone. Guys, make some noise for Pastor Mike rocking it again, dropping a serious message. So, 
My name's Sean, by the way. Two years ago, Pastor Mike and Pastor Julie came into my life, and it's never been the same. So you guys, what you're experiencing now, take that, because you're about to hit the reset button. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. So what are you going to do with that needle? You just got your, no, uh, your needle sewed, uh, threaded, that is. So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to sew Jesus? Are you going to sew Christ into your heart? Or are you going to run away from it? Pastor Mike once said, you got to run towards the roar. So who's running towards the roar? So guys, I'm just fired up. The journey is just beginning. If you guys are ever confused about what the next steps are, we have a program called Passport. And Pastor Mike's going to be up on the mezzanine doing that afterwards. Um, and it's just been fired up. So, again, give a hand for the worship team. They rock the house as always. But, you know, it's... When Pastor Mike had asked me to do this, I was like, what am I going to do? I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just in my journey. So if you're in your journey, it doesn't matter where it is. Just step up and start walking towards it. The way you sit back in reserve, you're never going to move forward. You're never going to go V1. When you go V1, there's no return. You have no choice but to keep going forward and keep pushing forward. So, guys, we love you all. We want you to be part of the family. Pastor Julie's going to be out in the lobby by the info bar afterwards to answer any of your questions and just to meet her. And, guys, thank you for being here. We love you guys. Let's go V1. Love you guys. listening your experience doesn't have to end with this message visit us online at v1.church and send us a message if you would like to help v1 reach new york and beyond download the v1 church app for iphone and android and click give join us this sunday for our weekend celebration directions and info can be found on our website